we finished up chapter two last time, I believe. I want to step back just for a minute to 2.15. And we had quite a bit of discussion about that last time. And I want to make sure that we, in fact, nailed it. Galatians 2.15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Yeshua Messiah. And one of the things that we said last time is a better translation of that would be through the faithfulness of Yeshua Messiah. The reason we said that is that his faithfulness is what led him to obey his father and go to the cross. And if you don't see it that way, the rest of the sentence doesn't make much sense. So let me read it that way, though. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through the faithfulness of Yeshua Messiah. So we also have believed in Messiah Yeshua in order to be justified by faith in Messiah, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. And by the way, that translation corresponds to King James, I believe. For those of you who have King Jimmy and close derivatives, that's the translation they have. I've got an English standard, and it does not read that way. The business there is that his faithfulness is the thing that justifies us, and so then we believe in him in order to be justified by faith. So now we'll go on to chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Yeshua Messiah was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Anyway, let's, let's stop there and unpack some. First thing he's doing is he's obviously upbraiding them a little bit, calling them foolish Galatians, and indicating that they've been hornswoggled. They believe something that isn't true. Paul presented Yeshua to them as crucified. And then, through the agency of belief, they received the Holy Spirit. So I suspect what happened was something like what happened with Cornelius when Peter went to his house. And Peter was explaining the gospel to him and the Holy Spirit fell on the Romans and all of the Jews were, whoa, what just happened? I suspect that something like that happened to the Galatians. So as Paul was explaining the gospel to them, God's Holy Spirit came upon them. So what he's saying is, you guys got the Holy Spirit upon you simply by hearing and believing in the gospel that I brought to you and now you want to back up and do something else. That's sort of the sense of that paragraph, if you will. And then, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I want to come back and talk about that because we're going to talk down below about Torah. And I think it'll make more sense when we get down there. And then, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And the question is, what suffering? Remember we started this off by talking about the political situation that they live in. They live under Roman law. 
And the Romans don't really care who you worship as long as you offer this token sacrifice every now and then to Caesar. When you stop doing that, you are subject to persecution. Similarly, they were all, and it'll talk about it in a minute, enslaved to what he calls the elemental spirits of this world, which are pagan gods or demons. So when they left their pagan religion, everybody in their families and friends and neighborhood came down on them. So when these folks in Galatia switched sides and got the Holy Spirit and started worshiping Jehovah and quit doing all of the pagan stuff that they had been doing all their lives, they were subject to persecution. What I'm suggesting is going on here when he says, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. In other words, having left the pagan worship that you were in before, you got persecuted. Was that persecution in vain? In other words, is it a waste of time? Are you now going back to something that you have left? That's the question. And I think that's the context of the question. You know, you've got the circumcision party and so forth, but they aren't really persecuting them. They're just trying to convince them to get circumcised and, and follow the Torah. I think the people that are giving them a hard time are their former co-religionists and perhaps the Roman authorities because they have ceased to pay attention to the cult of Caesar. And his question is, you have come out to belief in God by faith. You are now going to do something else, perhaps, which would make the suffering that you endured coming out of paganism in vain. In other words, wasted suffering because you're, you're no farther ahead now than you were then. If they now go into Jewish paganism, quote unquote, which is to say being saved by works of the law, then the suffering that they endured coming out is a waste because they're no better off now than they were then. They're just under a different set of rules. Verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness? So the comment here is, they are clearly demonstrating the gifts of the Spirit. Don't know what particular gifts they happen to be demonstrating. There are a number of gifts of the Spirit. It isn't real clear which ones they're demonstrating, but gifts of the Spirit are following these Galatian believers. And his question is, whose gifts are those? Are they gifts that are given to you by the Spirit and by God, or are they gifts that you have earned and powers that you have earned by works of the law? And of course, the obvious answer is they were freely given to you when you heard my gospel. And at that point, you didn't have any idea what the Torah was. And then he's going to Abraham, who, of course, was judged righteous by God because he trusted God. So now down to verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. 
And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Abraham's obedience and Abraham's trust in God makes him the progenitor of lots of people, some of whom are physical descendants, some of whom are spiritual descendants. But the idea that Abraham is going to be a blessing to all of the nations, not just his own physical progeny. And, oh, by the way, just as a parenthesis here, that doesn't mean that his own physical progeny, the Hebrews, aren't singled out for a special job. And we've talked about that lots of times before. Just as the Levites among the Hebrews were singled out for a special job, so the Hebrews are singled out among the nations for a special job. But that doesn't mean that Gentiles don't receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit and don't become inheritors of eternal life in the world to come. Jews also get the gifts of the Spirit through faith. They don't get the gifts of the Spirit through keeping the law. Both Jews and Gentiles get the gifts of the Spirit the same way, through faith. Jews have got a special mission. They are supposed to be a nation of priests, and they got special stuff to do, but that has nothing to do with them getting the gifts any other way than anybody else does. So now I'm all the way down to verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. All right. There is a key word there. Cursed are all who, what? Rely. In other words, those who rely on works of the law for their righteousness, if they do not keep the law perfectly, and it's an article of Christian faith that nobody ever does, then the curses of the law come upon them. There is nothing there that says anything about not following Torah. What it says is, do you rely on Torah for your salvation? And we said last time that it is not the function of the Torah to grant salvation. The Torah is something that is given to Israel after they are saved. The Torah becomes the rules by which a people who have been saved by God live properly. It is not a vehicle for salvation. So if you try and turn it into a vehicle for salvation, it then turns around and bites you. That's what he's saying here. If you try and turn this Torah into a vehicle for salvation, it will turn around and bite you because the standards of that are so high. Check out a couple of other versions. Let's see, King Jimmy, for as many as are of works of the law are under a curse. And I don't know any Greek, so I can't help you there, but 10, for as many as are of works of the law are under a curse. The New Jerusalem Bible is all those who depend on the works of the law, which is again the same as rely, for as many as are of works of the law. Are of doesn't tell me anything. The revised standard is all who rely on works of the law. Again, I've got New Jerusalem Bible, English standard, revised standard, 
and I think there was one more, that all have the sense of those who depend on works of the law. The idea, I think, is that that's where you are deriving your salvation. And as I said earlier, if you rely on the Torah for salvation, which it is not designed to provide, it will turn around and bite you. One of the things that he is quoting here is the business on Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Remember when the half of the tribe stood on Gerizim and the other half stood on Ebal? And all of the sins that they listed were what? Those are all secret sins. So what he's doing is he's grabbing that incident in Torah where they say, cursed is he who lies with his near relative, and cursed is he who puts a stumbling block before the blind, and, and so forth. And in Deuteronomy, I think it does say, cursed is everyone who does not uphold, basically, all of this law. Deuteronomy 27, 26. And the end of that, you have this list. Cursed be anyone who misleads the blind. Cursed be anyone who perverts justice. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of animal, and so forth. So these are all secret sins. And then at the end of that in 26, cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. The sense there is you can say that you believe it all. I believe I shouldn't murder. I believe I shouldn't be an adulterer. I believe I shouldn't steal. I believe I shouldn't, you know, yada, yada, yada. But my actions confirm what I actually believe. So the idea here is if your actions don't confirm your beliefs and your beliefs as played out in your action don't line up with Torah, there is a curse. And so what Paul is saying, I believe here in Galatians, is for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them, which I just read you from Deuteronomy 27:26. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Now, this is, I think, in Leviticus 18.5. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am Jehovah. The sense of that is the performance of the Torah is life. And one of the things that happens all through Torah is God says to Israel, keep these laws because they bring life. And the sense of living by something in our current vernacular is something different. You know, like I live by the Constitution, which is to say it becomes a rule of your life as opposed to something that gives life. I know the alphabet by heart as opposed to the alphabet is my heart. There's a difference. The idea of the law bringing life is all through Torah. God says over and over and over, and Moses says over and over, do this because it will give you life and it will give you length of days. And if you do this, you'll live long in the land and you will be prosperous and God will bless you. It says all of those things. That's true. 
So in that sense, doing the law brings life. That is not the same as your inheritance in the world to come. It's sort of like if you don't ever go out and rob a liquor store, you won't go to jail. Your life will be better. However, not going out and robbing a liquor store is not the thing that's going to get you into the world to come. That is something that you get by faith in God. And one of the tenets of this body here is we all spend time studying the Torah and we all try and live by precepts of the Torah because I think we all believe that living by the precepts of the Torah will result in a blessed life. In the same sense as if you don't ever knock over a liquor store, you're never going to get thrown in jail. And what the Torah does is it gives you God's equivalent of don't go knocking over liquor stores or stealing hubcaps. It's more complicated than that, obviously. But that's sort of God's equivalent of that set of rules. And, oh, by the way, if you do that, your life on this earth is going to go a lot better. This is mostly chapter 4, but I'll do it quickly. And I've been through this with lots of you before, and it shouldn't be anything strange. The events at Sinai were intended to be the consummation of a marriage. God was taking Israel as his bride. In Exodus 19, you have this, God says to Moses, all right, now go tell the children of Israel, make them the specific offer. Moses goes and makes a specific offer to Israel, and Israel says, we accept. So you have a betrothal. Three days later, when they are standing at the foot of the mountain, that is intended to be the consummation of a marriage. And in the consummation of a marriage, what happens is the husband puts seed into the wife with the intention of bringing forth life. The words of God are seed. They're information. So what God is desiring to do as he is on top of the mountain and Israel is below him is he is desiring to speak his word into the heart of his bride. He is desiring to write his Torah on their hearts. That didn't happen. Because after the second of the Ten Commandments, Israel said, stop. If we hear the voice of God anymore, we'll die. Moses, you go up and find out what he's got to say, and you come back and tell us what it was, and we'll do it. So the Torah did not get written on Israel's heart at Sinai as was desired. So Moses goes up and he gets the Torah written on tablets of stone, which is a metaphor for hearts of stone. In other words, you're going to carry these rocks around for the rest of your lives to remind you that you have hearts of stone and you would not let me write my Torah on your heart like I wanted to. So then, instead of being something that is written on our heart and flows out of us, in other words, you don't murder because you're simply not a murderer. You don't need to be told not to murder. It is just the case that you are not a murderer, and you're not a thief, and you're not a liar, and you're not covetous. It's just a statement of who you are. And you don't need it written down because that's what you are. It's just like I can no more go to bed without brushing my teeth than the man in the moon. I just can't do it, no matter how tired I am. The last thing I do is I get up and I go into the bathroom and I brush my teeth and then I come back and lay down and go to sleep. I don't have to be told to brush my teeth. There's no law that says I have to brush my teeth. I just could not do otherwise. 
And so the Torah written on your heart, all of these precepts and rules that are written down on tablets of stone and on parchment were intended to become part of the heart of the Israelite people, except they wouldn't accept it. The whole Bible is the story of the Torah written in the wrong place. It's not designed to be written on tablets of stone. It's designed to be written on the human heart. And that will not happen until the new covenant. And at that point, God will circumcise our heart. He'll write the Torah on our heart. He'll tear out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. All sorts of ways of saying it. But the deal will be, after that, you won't murder anybody simply because you're not a murderer. And nobody has to tell you anymore, don't murder because it isn't going to be anything that you would ever be tempted to do. So what God is saying here is that these laws that I wanted to write on your heart are in fact a source of life. Follow them and they will bring you life. But the thing that gets you into the world to come is a relationship with me. And that's what Paul is going to be saying in the next chapter and a half of Galatians. Pick it back up at 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. In other words, having the law written down is not a faith. Having the law written on your heart, where it's supposed to be written, is of faith. The Torah is written in the wrong place. 13. Messiah redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Messiah Yeshua, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So the faithfulness of Messiah led him to shed his blood and accept the curses that are in the written Torah for those who do not obey. And he took them for us. And because he took them for us, now we are free to live according to the Torah without fear. Because he has taken the sting of the sin of disobedience. If you don't follow the Torah, you're in disobedience. And the difference is, if I drive down the street here and I run a stop sign, I may get caught, I may not, I may get a fine, I may not. If God puts that stop sign up and I run it, I'm sinning. And the difference is, that's God's rule that I'm breaking, and now I am disobeying God, as opposed to just blowing through a stop sign, and you know maybe I get caught and maybe I don't. The same stop sign, but one is a law from God, and the other one is a law from the magistrate, and they're two completely different things. What this is saying is, Messiah has taken for us the punishment of any of these infractions of God's Torah that we ever do. So the curse of the law has now been removed. So you're now free to walk in Torah without fear. Then the Torah becomes what it's designed to be, which is life. And now you don't run stop signs because it's dangerous and you might kill somebody and there's all sorts of good reasons not to run a stop sign but I really no longer have to worry about am I going to hell for running a stop sign now I just do it because I know it's a good idea and I know God wants me to be blessed 
and I know God doesn't want me to hit some kid on a tricycle. It's really critical because part of the problem with the Sunday church, God bless them, is they look at the Torah as, oh man, you don't want to mess with that stuff. That'll bring you under condemnation. That isn't what's being said here. It's like Cornelius and his crew. They get saved. They get the Holy Spirit. Well, now what you got to do is you got to go into the synagogue and read the books and find out all you can about this God who has just revealed himself to you. Because the Holy Spirit won't keep you from running a stop sign. He expects you to know not to run a stop sign. And the only way you'd know that is to read the book. Please consider becoming a sponsor. You can sponsor us for as little as a dollar a month. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.